Good morning, North Shore. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I am the student ministry pastor here. And we are so excited to bring this morning our first student infusion service. Uh, this is something we've wanted to do for a while as we bring in students in all different kinds of capacities to help lead us in worship and just celebrate the fact that this is their church. This is our church. Uh, Psalm 78 was read for us this morning to draw our attention to the theme of today, uh, whether you are a young person or not as young, this idea that we need each other. Uh, you could argue that student ministry, the idea of, of a student ministry, started as far back as 1850. Uh, Dwight Moody is one of the more well-known leaders and uh, pastors who started the, the concept of Sunday school, which originally had hope for educating teenagers uh, by teaching them primarily to read. And their source material was the Bible. Uh, fast forward a few decades later, in 1940, a man named Jim Rayburn started uh, what many of you probably have heard of as Young Life. And it was one of the first large-scale, intentional, dedicated efforts to get outside of the walls of the church for young people to uh, witness and outreach. Um, and they would uh, do a, a pretty simple structure of music and games and testimonies and talking about Jesus. Uh, and, and, and specifically highlighting doing life on life with teenagers. And it's only been since 1970 that churches have really moved towards creating uh, what we might call youth groups and creating this uh, pat this pastoral position of youth pastor, youth leader. And, and it was this massive wave that swept the nation as thousands of previously uh, unmarketable Christians suddenly found themselves in charge of dozens of 12-year-olds as jobs were created overnight. And there's a lot of good that comes with this. There's cool things that we can do over in student ministry with the kids. We can show videos, and, and we can see how many clothespins we can put on somebody's face. Uh, and there's a different lingo and a different culture that goes with it. But there can be a tendency for a gap to be created within the church. Um, and it's perfectly understandable in, in some sense. And I've noticed some of this. You may have noticed this as well in 2020 as we're navigating through the environment of 2020 has demonstrated that, that we need each other with the quarantines and all these different things that we, we need some semblance of being around other people. So the environment has shown that we need each other. At the same time, uh, the conversations of 2020 have demonstrated that while we need other people, we prefer people who are like us. Just the thing that I've noticed in the conversations going on in our world right now is that we desperately uh, are wired for relationship. And also, it is harder to do that life. It is harder to do life alongside one another with people who are different than us. And so this morning, we're looking at one of those potential dividing differences. One thing that could do incredible damage is that distance between young and old. And it would be, it would be pretty convenient and easy to think 
uh, that, that you guys go over there and do your thing and, and you guys go over there and do your thing and, and that's the right way to, to do this uh, life together. But we all want to say this morning from student ministry that a core belief that Tommy and Emily and I have and the leaders and the volunteers and all of us in student ministry is that we are not two different churches. We're not two churches. We need each other. So as we dive in here, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 6. Uh, we'll come back to Psalm 78 second. But first I want to go to John chapter 6. There's only one miracle uh, that Jesus performed that appears in all four Gospels. Uh, besides Jesus' resurrection, coming back from the dead, there's only one thing that Jesus did that's in all four Gospels. Um, you can try to guess if you want. I like to quiz people, and, and very rarely does someone get it right. But here as we go into John 6, the only one that is in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is when Jesus fed 5,000 people. And the star of that story, apart from Jesus, is a young person. So here we are, John chapter 6. There's a couple verses of setup. I'm going to jump in at verse 5. So, so picture this scene. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And so what we've seen, if you picture this large gathering where people are following Jesus, they want to be with him, they're listening to him, and suddenly it's lunch. And there's thousands and thousands of people, and, and Jesus is traveling, and no one has brought lunch. And he says to his disciples, where are we going to get food? And there's there's logistical questions that arise. There's doubt. There's a, a sense of, well, this is not a thing we can do. And, and, and yet some of them go out and they come forward with a young boy who has, who has offered his lunch. Five loaves of bread, two small fish. And out of that, Jesus does this amazing miracle and feeds thousands of people. And, and it's, it's so encouraging to me. Just, just picture this scene. This is the only miracle that appears in, in all four of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it would not have happened if not for the active faith of a young person. So cool that not only this is highlighted, um, but that Jesus knows this opportunity is there as we read. And what I see in this, and, and in a couple other places in Scripture that we'll get into, is that there is something about the mind and heart and perspective and faith of young people that is different than that of older adults. 
And it's not necessarily immaturity. It's just simply a difference. Now at the same time, what we'll also look at is there's wisdom and holiness in the minds and souls of those who have followed Jesus for years. Here's, here's what I've noticed as a pastor. Um, sometimes I've noticed that there are many older folks in the church who believe that the church is no longer for them, that, that they've, been, they've been passed on. I, I've heard that directly said to my face. What's interesting is I've also heard young people say that the church has never been for them, that, that they're waiting until the church uh, is, is theirs someday. I've also had that said directly to my face. Uh, but here's what I'd like to encourage us in this morning as we continue to dive into this. The beauty of North Shore, because it is the beauty of the gospel, is that there is a place for you in this church if you are older or if you are younger because there is a place for you and a purpose for you through Jesus if you are older or if you are younger. It's the beauty here at North Shore because it's the beauty of the gospel. So here are two more places to ground this in the very word of God as we look at what the creator of humanity has to say about the benefits of being the age that you are. So I would like to uh, jump here into Psalm 78. It's the passage that was read a little bit earlier. These are the first few verses of Psalm 78. And hear this pattern of generational faith. My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And now we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And then this is repeated again in verse 6. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So if you hear this over and over, it's one generation to the next. It's information about who God is that's being passed on. But if you caught it, it was, it was the things uh, of who God is and also what God has done. This is not just head knowledge, it's also heart knowledge. That the people of God are excited to be able to pass on to those coming after that. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, you, learn, you learn it by studying it, and you learn by living it. So, so in my own experience, I know just a couple of things uh, about piano, and it's been an honor to be part of uh, this team over the last few months, and I've had some really cool conversations with some of you over the last few weeks. Uh, piano is one of the things that I've done the longest. Uh, it's, it's one of the only things that I've pretty much done my whole life is 26 years of this, and I have both studied it and I've lived it. I've learned piano on paper, and I've also learned piano by doing it with my hands. Every congregation that I've ever been a part of or seen has saints. Those who have walked with Jesus for years and years. Saints who've learned about God by studying him and who've learned about God by living with him. 
there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge and they are an abundance of both and and you can't teach that it's something you can't replace and it is one of the most powerful testimonies that i have seen just picture that for a moment in the 21st century with how fast things change and opinions and, and being canceled and just so much shifting in our world. The testimony of someone who has made the claim that Jesus is their chief pursuit and they've done that for months and years and decades, no matter how that life has changed along the way, they are still committed to following Jesus. It's incredible. And I guarantee that that testimony is noticed. Because if there were no one at the end of their life still following Jesus at that point, why would any of us buy in in our younger years? Why would we buy into something if nobody makes it to the end? And so that testimony, that life lived, is noticed. And and I guarantee it is, and it's an encouragement to the faith of younger people, even if they don't say that very well. Even if it's not expressed for those who have followed Jesus with their lives, it is noticed and it is encouragement. And many times they, young people might not say it because the concept of age is, is a tricky thing. Uh, in our ministry with, with students, uh, I'm their old person. And so they already think that I'm uh, really old. Uh, but, but I know that it is noticed that people are still following Jesus. And it is an encouragement to all of us. There is no higher calling than to share how Jesus has shaped us with one another. And one of the greatest outlets for that is to share your head and heart knowledge with the next generation. Uh, Pastor Paul Lowell here knows what what the theme was, and we were talking through the sermon, and he gave me a verse just this morning, uh, Psalm 71, 18. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That's beautiful. But you can't do that if there are no young people around, if you're not in proximity. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. So all of this to say first, to those of you who have followed Jesus longer than I've been alive, thank you. Now let's flip to the next generation. I want to jump in here to Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus is just minding his own business when, one day when uh, his 12 disciples come up to him and they're having this conversation debate about how to be the best. And so we'll grab that here in Matthew 18. And the question they ask him in verse 1 is, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus does not answer. Verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him, And placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
Now, just like before with the, with the feeding of the five, you need to picture this for, for maximum impact. I don't know if you've ever been approached by a group of 12 grown men, uh, but it's a little weird. It's kind of intimidating. And in any given situation, if there's a group of 12 men, I'm usually bigger than like two of them. And so uh, here, here come all these guys, and this is a scary thing. You know, I don't know if they're doing their half circle or the slow-mo walk or whatever, um, but they come up and, and they're asking Jesus this question that they're apparently all pretty interested in. So they're probably doing the arms crossed thing and leaning in, and there's this there's this just this position of, of intimidation and power and interest and and, you know, they're, they're uh, physical workers, so there's muscles going on. And Jesus does not answer their question. He calls over a little child and puts them in the middle of this group. And so, so just picture this, right? All these guys kind of, who's the best? All spread out. And Jesus just has a little kid stand among them. Surrounded by grown men, the child must have looked insignificant, and and that's the point. And then Jesus speaks of lowly position. What what is that? Is it a call to humility? Is it a reference to the fact that children are often overlooked whenever there's adults around? Uh, Is it because Jewish culture didn't tend to value children until they've gone through their rite of passage and, and reached adulthood? Is it something about dependence? Is it something about innocence? It, it might be any and, and all of those things, but very specifically, Jesus says there is some element of adulthood that is less preferable in Jesus' mind to that of being a young person. Because he says, unless you change and become like little children, We naturally grow from young to old. Nobody had to teach us that. Now they might say things and they might say like, Tyler, you should grow up. Tyler, don't climb that. Tyler, please stop eating candy during our prayer meeting. But nobody has to instruct us on how to get older. It just happens. But spiritually, two times Jesus says, you must get younger. When Jesus called this child into the group, they came. When Jesus was on the lawn with thousands and was looking for food, a child offered theirs. There is a sense in which as we get older, we get less good at this simple call to follow Jesus. We get too smart and independent for our own good, and we ask questions, and we push back. And and the idea of having a childlike faith is simply understanding that doing what Jesus is doing and going where Jesus is going is the right thing. Now, Tommy and Emily and I have the privilege of standing in kind of that transition period. And what I mean by that is, is in middle school and high school, I think they're a little bit older than, than the small child that Jesus mentions in Matthew 18. But I think they're a lot closer to the young boy from John 6, from the feeding of the 5,000. And what we get to see is, is kind of the developing and the transitioning of that attitude. It's the position of, I'm not really sure what I should do, but I know I should do something. So Jesus, here's my lunch. It's, it's just simple and it's honest and it's open. They're not doing, if you caught what the disciples responded to Jesus's question, they're not doing a financial analysis of how much it's going to take to provide lunch. 
They're not calling up the church leaders to see how they are handling the lunch that is donated. And it's a bit more see and feel and respond. And Jesus loves that. To all of our students who have stayed with us during this, this crazy time, uh, thank you. And my encouragement to you is to keep asking, what is Jesus doing? What is he like? Where is he going? Now back to you who are uh, paying for the internet bill to watch this this morning. Jesus says, become like a child. It's hard to do if there are no young people around. And here's what I see. We need each other. To pursue Jesus better, I think we need the knowledge and the example from the older generation. And we need the inspiration and childlike faith from the younger generation. So here's a, a glimpse of what that can look like when the church is killing it. And just by way of example, uh, let's start with Jesus as is only fitting. Jesus followed or, or Jesus had 12 followers, the disciples, this group of men that was primarily somewhere between the ages of about 16 and 30. Almost age peers, they're a bit more, you know, you might call them the younger generation, his co-workers. Now Jesus was supported uh, financially and housed with, with physical buildings, primarily by older believers, many of them widowed grandmas. And then consistently along the way, Jesus made an intentional attempt to, to uplift and to value children, to use them as examples, to allow them to worship him in ways that what seemed abnormal. He frequently valued and honored young people. And the point is this, Jesus got around people older than him and younger than him. They were part of his life. They were part of his ministry. And so I wanted to just offer these three simple partnerships. And they're not my idea alone. Uh, much of this comes from pastors and leaders that I respect who have put in incredible effort and energy considering what a healthy, multi-generational church looks like. And so the first of these is actual involvement. Actual involvement. Uh, this is the desire of, instead of continually centralizing authority and so that all official ministry comes out of one pastor or a couple of pastors or just a small amount of leaders, it is the desire to empower others, especially young people, in doing the work of Jesus here and now. Um, there, there's a sense in which the next generation is a helpful phrase, but if the next generation means they have to wait until they're this generation to actually be involved, then, then I think we've missed the point. And, and the example that comes to mind for me is, is when we're all learning to get our driver's license. When you have your permit, the adult is not driving the car. They're in the car, but the, the student, the teenager, is driving and the adult is in the car with them. The kid drives and, and they are there. Now some part of this here at North Shore may be outside your control is if you don't have say in who takes part in the Sunday morning service. But, but as a student ministry, I am committed to letting the kids drive the car. So I would ask for all of us, how do we respond? What's, 
what's the attitude, what's the response, what's the perspective um, when we give the keys over a little bit in a real way and do ministry together? Is there joy in that? Is there celebration? Is there encouragement? Um, there are going to be opportunities after this service to, to maybe engage with the young person, thank them for what they've done, and, and to engage in that way. And to the students and kids in particular, my encouragement would be try things. Ask if you can try things. Learn where it is God has called you. What is it that he is shaping you to do? Learn where, where his will and his plans are for you. Uh, the second simple partnership would be conversations instead of condemnation. Uh, this one in particular I think is scary. Um, I've noticed this really interesting thing that uh, the one that makes sense to us is that at times uh, kids are afraid of those who are older than them. I've noticed that old people are also afraid of teenagers. Uh, and I know this is a strange thing to bridge that gap, but my encouragement would be to have conversations instead of to have condemnation. And that's specifically because we're different. Um, the background of those who have lived 20, 30, 40 years longer than me is different than my background, is different than the 12 and 13-year-olds that I minister to. Empathize with today's generation. Instead of judging or criticizing, step into the shoes of this generation. And it goes both ways. But when we see differences, as we're figuring out what it means to be a Christian in this day and age, I've always found the absolute best way to start is simply asking questions. Just ask, what, what is it like for you to be a Christian right now? 2020, this summer, with things having happened and adjusted the way they are. And you can ask that question of a 16-year-old, and you can ask that question of a 75-year-old, and you will learn a lot. Conversations instead of condemnation. The third simple partnership would be demonstrating discipleship. Demonstrating discipleship. And this might mean some sort of official involvement, right? I'm not up here to recruit volunteers, but, but there may be a sense in which God is pulling on your heart to say, I want to consistently disciple young people, and, and, and I would love to have those conversations. There, there might be some sort of official involvement, but it might mean something as simple as, as stepping outside your comfort zone on a Sunday and, and listening in on what someone else is talking about, engaging in a conversation with them. It might simply mean using the time and opportunities that God has already given you to use those well. One of the coolest things that I saw when I first got here just a year ago, um, I think it was within, within the first month of being here, and it was our first real activity as a high school ministry, and we went on this hike. And, and one of the moms uh, here, their daughter had her birthday that weekend. And so what I generally hear is, it's my birthday, I can't come or it's their birthday, they're not coming. But what I heard was, it's my daughter's birthday. Would it be all right if we got up early the next morning and I drove all of them to meet you at the hike? Is that okay if we don't come to the church? Can I drive them out to the hike and you guys can do that? And it was, it was amazing. 
It was such a cool example of stepping into the life of someone else and saying, here, let's, let's find a way for you to be involved. Let's partner together. And there are so many opportunities that you will know far better than me of windows that God has given you, opportunities that God has given you to bridge that gap from old to young or whatever that difference is. So with all this, three passages, a few ideas, um, I believe Jesus has called us to follow him. And there's nothing you can do about the age that you are. So I think it makes sense that he's called us to follow him with whatever age we have right now. But those don't necessarily have to divide us. Which means that on any given day, we have to think about what it means to be a worshiping body of Christ in this place. The, the people who've been brought together here at North Shore, uh, this gathering of Jesus followers from age one to whatever age Pastor Paul Lowell is and, and beyond. How, how do we do this together? And, and hopefully you've gained a sense of that and heard our heart as a ministry and this calling that I believe Jesus specifically brings us together to share in our strengths and to learn and sharpen and grow in our weaknesses from one another. I hope you've seen and heard that this morning in this service as we've tried to partner students with pastors and those who've never been on camera before with those who have in so many different parts of this service. We're giving, we're giving keys over. Um, and all that points to why this is called what it is. We call this student infusion. We don't want this to be a student takeover. So we're calling this infusion because healthy intergenerational partnered and growing followers of Jesus didn't fit on the notes. But we are one church. We're in this together. Jesus has called us from all walks of life to do this thing together. Uh, so as we take a step here into some time to reflect and to worship, um, just to point us back to three simple partnerships. Um, some of these are harder than others. Some of these take longer to develop than others. But my encouragement would be to take a, a minute here to reflect on what these look like. Actual involvement, especially empowering young people. Conversations instead of condemnation, both ways, and demonstrating discipleship. And as we move here uh, into worship, and, and especially as we lift up our voices to God with this song that, that essentially reflects the words of Psalm 78, as we are to proclaim who God is and what he's done to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, our invitation is, what is your role in this? Where's your partnership? Where's God called you to step in and share who he is and what he's done, your head and heart knowledge with someone else. Let's pray. God, we thank you for building your church here. We are grateful that you have called us, that you have called so many of us from so many different backgrounds and, and we ask that you would Give us the wisdom to walk this out. And our, my prayer, our prayer as a church, specifically in this time, that we would find less ways 
to divide ourselves and more ways to unite ourselves. It is very easy today in this world to be divided and be divisive. And God, I just ask that you would take the differences and the beautiful diversity that you have created and take it and make it something beautiful. That this church would reflect so much of your character, the diversity of who you are in how we worship, in how we act, in, in what we do and in what we say and in how we live, in all of those things, may you be present and may we be one. Continue to speak to us even as we lift our voices back to you now. Let this be a conversation of praise as we hear from you and, and we speak our praise to you. In your name we pray. Amen.